Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to Your Booked, the podcast for readers, writers and the chronically nosy. I'm Daisy Buchanan, Your Book Inspector, and I will be guiding you as we rummage around a writer's shelves and find some unexpected discoverers. I'm really excited about this week's guest. We went and talked to Sarah Manning. Sarah is a novelist and journalist and writer. I have been a huge, huge fan of her for many years. I used to work for the teen magazine Bliss and in my old office, Sarah was a bit of a legend. My editors had worked with her and she'd gone off to be an incredibly successful novelist. Sarah has written so many novels. Um, some of my favourites are Unsticky, which is the very dark, funny, thrilling, really honest and weird story about a relationship between a struggling fashion intern and her much older sugar daddy but it is unexpectedly subtle and warm and weird um I also loved you don't have to say you love me which is about what it's like to be a woman who's been judged entirely for a whole life on her appearance and what happens when you internalize that judgment and it's a love story but she writes the most believable love stories I know there is so much humanity and harsh in her work uh, Sarah is also hugely successful um, teen novelist she writes brilliant books for young adults and her latest book The Rise and Fall of Becky Sharp which is a I guess a modern retelling of Vanity Fair or it's Vanity Fair now it begins with Becky leaving the Big Brother house I'll say that it's a really sharp on point satire and it's very very satisfying in that it's a pitch perfect match with um Vanity Fair. We went to visit her in Muswell Hill. Um, Sarah, I think, had given away 800 books before we turned up. So already, you know, thousands of books left for us to look at. So she reads sort of as prolifically and as addictedly as anyone I know. My favourite people are always the real befriended readers. So the theme of this week is always meet your heroes. We're in the book room. Yes. A book room that is now um, beautifully tidy and just very, very eclectic. I love that there's some, I can see some filing systems and also some exciting things that are. um, Just like, oh, I can't put it on the right shelf. So I know that you've recently culled 800 books. I've seen the pictures on your social media of your 
vast and amazing collection. What was the hardest book to call? Was there anything that you thought, am I absolutely sure I want to give up? And did you have to rescue anything from the current no. pile? I think because I get so many books in to review, because I sort of review books for Red as well. So, you know, it's like every month you don't get to read everything, so you put things by. I think I might actually... I might actually read them. I suppose the only thing that was a little bit of a wrench was getting rid of my um, Francesca Lear Block Wheatsy Bat books, which is like this cult American series that I, you know, it was sort of really hard to get hold of them, you know, when I was sort of in my early 20s. But it was like, I'm really never going to read these again. I don't know those books at all. Are they teen books? They're teen books, but they're just sort of kind of... Yeah, they're really sort of dark. It's that kind of dark L.A. underbelly and they're kind of all sort of fairies and slightly mystical. Everything that I hate now. So it's like... But it was a little bit like, oh, I love these. But it's like, no. And also, I just have a lot of... um, A lot of reference books. Like, this is sort of my non-fiction. Just tons of, like, World War II. Tons of Homefront. Tons of, like fashion stuff including this little section here which I love where it's things like um they're so obscure it's like Charles Creed like the great British couturier who knew that he had a memoir made to measure and there's a pun there because yeah and then when I got it I realized can't see the book listeners it's made like but it was (gasps) signed yeah and just sort of like these things are just so essential. This is kind of where ideas start. She she worked at Balenciaga, but before that she worked at Fortnum and Masons when, you know, she was a, a sort of young thing. So it was just all that colour. So can I just talk about the book? Um, I'll play the picture with um, with words. It's called It Isn't All Mink by Jeanette Spanier. Yes. Uh, and it's got the most beautiful um, kind of red, black and white colour. It's like monochrome with a, sorry, red, black and white cover. Yeah. <laughs> and a gorgeous, glamorous picture of the of the author looking very... And what, when do you think that picture was taken? That's, I, I think that's sort of 1950s, 1960s. Really it's that's the quaff and the, yeah. the pearls and the, the smile. It's really funny, actually, that these books, they all just have, like, really bad fashion prong. Why like, are they all called... Why, why is Mink in the title? I don't know. Is that one's a, called in the, in the Mink. And then I've got one somewhere that's by the original author, the original editor of Vogue, who literally founded Vogue with Condé Nast, called Always in Vogue. These are things I adore, and then... So what I think is really interesting about these is... um, With (laughs) chic, but Ernestine Carter. You don't get many Ernestines. I've never met one. No, you don't. But that fashion, I think... These are people taking fashion very, very seriously. And it's something that I think people really tend to dismiss and trivialise. I think I've always I've loved about your books and your characters, that fashion detail. Um, could you talk a bit about your, your career in, yeah, in fashion sure. magazines and as a fashion writer and journalist? Well, it's quite funny, really, because I started off on Melody Maker. It's like the world's worst music journalist was just not my thing. And by the end, they kind of made me into their court and social reporter because they didn't know what to do with me. So how did that happen? Did you think, oh, I really want to be a writer and they're hiring and well, they're I cool? I really and... loved music. I really did love music, but it was just... I got there and it was quite, you know, for somebody's first 
writing job. Everybody was free freelance. Everybody was jockeying for position. It was during the cathedrals of sound period of like music journalism. So it was all very sort of pretentious. And I just didn't have my voice. I didn't know what my voice was. And I just didn't really sort of thrive in that. But then I went to Just 17, which was just like nobody in Melody Maker. You're going where? You're going to Just 17? But I loved I loved this um, US magazine called Sassy Magazine, which was just like the just the best teen mag ever. Kurt and Courtney on the cover. And, and I just... I applied for a job as features editor on Just 17, knowing that I wasn't qualified to be features editor. But, you know, when you just have that feeling, you just sort of think this is going to lead to something. I knew that they loved Sassy too. So I just remember writing my um, sort of my pitch, like in Sassy speak, I think it was something like 10 reasons why I'd make a spiffy sort of features editor. And they sort of called me in and said, you know, you're completely underqualified. We'd love you to do some writing. And sort of the editor, Sarah Bailey, she's still like one of my best friends. So then I was on Just 17, loved Just 17. It was just... You know, it was what I read when I was a teenager and I just, at the time, it was, we all just felt really privileged to sort of work there and that was kind of when I found my voice. It was like, well, I sort of know what my voice is and I know who my sort of reader is. So I did Just 17 for four years and then I went to New Media, which was what we call the internet. <laughs> God, and... It I think was... it's going to catch on. I went back to magazines. They were f- starting um, a junior version of Elle called Elle Girl. God, Elle Girl was just the best fun I've ever had. It was like my best job. It was just joyous. You know, it was just a fashion magazine for girls, but it, it celebrated girls. So we said, we'll never have a diet feature. We won't have like a problem page in the traditional way of I've got spots or can I get pregnant if a boy puts his finger in my belly button. It was all... It was fashion, but it was it it was kind of what I tried to do in my novels, that through fashion we express our creativity, we sort of find ourselves. Going back to the teen writing, um, I've always sort of, you know, wondered and imagined whether the fact that I think you've got such a... You've been able to write for teens in such a resonant way is I sort of imagine you being a um, a big, big reader as a teen... Yeah, but I didn't really read teen fiction because it didn't really Can you remember reading anything where you thought, probably shouldn't be reading this? Someone knew what this was. Well, I just, I bet I have, I don't even know if I could find it. Well, I was just, you know, I was, well, I would definitely read The Bell Jar, which is over there. That's my copy of The Bell Jar. So how old were you when you read The Bell Jar? Definitely... I was about 14 or 15 because I was still at school. And was it something that That's... you came to because other people were reading it or did you we were doing, come to it as well, an emo it was teen? This, this is my A-level poetry thing and it was just such a great collection. You can see all my little annotated notes, but we did a section oh, on like you know, Sylvia Plath. Nice handwriting. I mean, I do actually remember, you know, um, I was obsessed with the Sylvia Plath, Ted Hughes thing. So this is the Longman English series, Poetry, 1900. In fact, that might be my A-level. But I know, so that would be later, but I know that when I was at school, I was obsessed with Sylvia Plath because I left school after my GCSEs to do to do my A-levels at college. And I was so obsessed with Sylvia Plath that my 
English teacher at school, even though I was an absolute nightmare in lessons, actually, you know, would let lent me her copy of sort of um a Sylvia Plath biography. So it's like massively into Sylvia Plath. These are like my JD Salingers from when I was a teenager. Oh, those covers are just fantastic. So, good. so I wasn't reading things like that, but somehow I don't know how this. I took a deep dive into sort of like bloody William Barr. This is it. I can't believe I found this. What? Because it. Wow. I think because I was into music, like sort of Mark Armand and stuff, that I kind of went this weird sub sort of cultural route. So I read this. And I took it on all the time <laughs> with my parents. And the good thing about my parents is they just, like, Sarah's a reader, she's reading, just let her get on with it. So and, and my dad... Right, oh this God. is um, Cities of the Dark Night. Jesus. Sorry, Cities of the Red yeah. Night. The outrageousness of Cities of the Red Night suggests it was written in collusion with Swift, Baudelaire, Schopenhauer, Orwell, Lenny Bruce, General Patton and John Calvin. So my dad said, what are you reading? And I just said, Dad, just like, you know, I said, I actually said it's basically a diary of anal sex. <laughs> and and I, my mum did sort of have a word and say, we don't censor what you're reading, but... So I'm just imagining you sort I mean, of I on the beach under like a big black parasol going, what? Jesus. So, yeah. Did so... you... Was, was there anything that in that book oh. where you sort of... You had never encountered it before that you had to learn by context or anything where years later you were like, oh, that was what was going on there. I think it was just more the pose of, like, I'm reading William Burroughs than actually taking anything away from it. Because when I was a teen, there wasn't... You know, I literally sort of went from my sort of beloved Noel Stretfields. Really, my teen books were those Jilly Coopers. Oh, yes, let's talk Those Jilly. were... Those were the books I read. They were much more of like my natural kind of like milieu. Um, Harriet, I literally know Harriet by heart. So did you read the romances first? Yeah, because I'm so old that. But this, this is what, this is what was teen fic when I was a teen. Wow, that. So this is a book called Give Me Back My Pride, published by... Well, it's this series called Heartlines. Heartlines, which was a pan kind of imprint. The, is it, the, one, the one that I can't find anymore, Gosh, which I, I just I read, read again and again, was called He Was Bad. <laughs> I'm sure I just like... And it, and it was about this bad boy, you know, and it was just... It was just everything that I loved. I'm sure it just inspired me more than I actually realised. And, of course, we've got... Oh, oh Gigi Bloom. Yeah. I mean, so many of my books have just disappeared because they were at my parents' I mean, house. What I love is that whenever... Because this, you know, comes up a little bit when you talk about all, you know, lots of people that book are like, oh, gosh, this, I shouldn't be reading this, is Forever with Ralph the Penis. Um... And I go straight to William Burroughs. And you go straight to William Burroughs. But also, your Judy Bloom books are a love starring Sally J. Friedman as herself. I actually, I read this quite recently because I saw it in a Help Yourself box yeah. and I couldn't notch. Can you talk about your, when you met Judy Bloom and your sort of your connection to those books? What something I think that she did beautifully as a writer is that transition which I think is quite Noel Stratfieldy maybe of being a sort of from being like an old kid a mature kid who's not a teen to a definite definite teenager well, I mean, my favorite one I think is I think it is forever 
But is that... But I think it's only because my cover that I had, she had like liquid eyeliner on the cover. Oh, really? But I mean, I wasn't, I know it's sacrilege to say it. I mean, I read Judy Bloom, but they never really spoke to me in the way that kind of the Jilly Cooper books did, where all her heroines were just like chaotic and and messy and disorganised. My sort of book buying was like, I can't even remember where I bought books from when I was a teenager. I know where I sort of got like my little sort of um, chalet school books, which I loved. And um, as a t- as a really sort of young girl, is that we would go to Watford on Saturdays and W H Smiths, um, and that's when I had sort of pocket money. I think they were so cheap that I could probably seventy five p, and I got a pound pocket money. So what did you do with the other twenty five p? Probably knowing my mum, she probably made me save it. Um, that, to my mum's consternation, because she loves the chalet school, I've, I've never read. Um, are there loads of these? It's not well, like Mallory Towers. This is like... Six. So my mother read the chalet school, and, she, and I read them, and I had, like, these little kind of Amada things. And then we went to part, we went to Foyles, and it was in the days when Foyles had a second-hand department, and um, they had the entire... The entire Shally School series, all hardbacks. I think some of them had dust jackets, but silly young me lost the dust jackets. And you know, we just didn't have much money, and they they were pound each, which is just. I mean, now they go for like fifty, sixty quid, and it was this sort of horrible like King Solomon and the baby. They were like oh, ten. Sweet. Sorry, you can pick ten. So I picked ten in a really kind of skillful way of what hadn't been released so they are quite obscure ones like gay from china at the chalet school and um lavender laughs at the chalet school <laughs> and stuff and i do remember that coming... sounds pretty euphemistic to me <laughs> but i just remember coming back in the car and i was so grateful but at the same time i was just like i was fighting back tears because you know We'd left the set and then the next day, I think there'd been a conversation when I'd gone to bed and they were like, we could probably swing it for a Christmas present. Phoned up foils and said, we'll take them. And somebody had come in just after us and bought the rest of the set. But my one consolation was it was incomplete because I'd already taken the best ones. I, I might cry. <laughs> I mean, it was just, I just remember I have... I just remember coming back in the car and just sort of saying, oh, thank you, I'm so grateful, kind of through my tears, because I didn't want to sort of seem like, you know, I was in a strop about it. The most... Such joy and pain. I know, I know. Would you ever um, replace them? Would you... Do you still... Does a bit of you still want to collect the set? My chalet school... No, I mean, they're... These are things that I wouldn't. I just don't even think I'd reread them, but I'd never get rid of them. I mean, that's something that I think really changes as we grow older, and I think it's so so sad. But I know I felt like this when I was little. You know, you don't have that much stuff when you're tight, and it's really really precious, and you know kind of exactly what's there. And now, especially with books, and especially because you're but also you would just read those books again Mm. and again. That's why it's like. You know, when I sort of read Harriet for the first time in about 20 years, it was just not so much reading it as just um, 
But you know, like when you find an old mixtape mm. that you just listen to it again and again and again and again, or like a vinyl record, and you just know, you know, every single sort of catch of breath mm. and stuff, but also all, all the separate crackles and things. It's, it's that kind of and thing. And then if you hear one of those songs in isolation, you expect the thing on your mixtape to yes, follow it. And definitely. you're a bit surprised when it doesn't. Yeah. So what do you think is your most read book? Would it be Harriet? I want to talk about Harriet because I loved it. It's Harriet's the one, isn't it? She at Cambridge. Oxford. Oxford. And it's snowy. Oh, thank you so much. And she gets pregnant by a cad. Simon. Simon, the actor. Simon Villiers. Simon Villiers. Great name. Yes. Do you know? Because in my, I think my favourite romance is Imogen. Where oh, um, yes. it's Nikki Beresford, the tennis player, and I think yes. it's Beresford Road around oh. State Newington. And I think it's like every time I think, oh, I don't like Beresford Road. But Harriet, I just, I really, I think I over identified with Harriet in that I was sort of like, you know, really messy and. And just, you know, I just really like the idea of a cad and then being rescued mm. by somebody with, like, Corey Erskine, the playwright, mm. slightly damaged, like, amazing cheekbones. Because you read those, and that, because those romantic heroes, they're written, they're very, you know, they're old and they're craggy and they're mature. And then you go back and, like, oh, he's 31. <laughs> I know! They just seem so old. And also, Harriet has got the best Jilly Cooper dog, Seven Oaks. Mm. Hello, Seven Oaks. You've got a cattle market on Wednesdays. Oh, oh. Seven Oaks is such a great dog name. What I love about it, I mean, all this, I think, happens in all of Jilly, and that's why I loved her. First books I read where like, women had sex, and it was really great, and nothing terrible happened. Yes. And she keeps making a point of how Harriet got, her in, got herself into the mess of having Simon Villiers' baby because she was very enthusiastic about shacking. I know, but also I think she was the only one that actually, you know, got caught. The rest mm. of them were sort of shagging with sort of gay abandon, weren't they, yeah. really? But I suppose also, actually, we can't really sort of talk about my teen years. We're talking of shagging with gay abandon. Lace, of <gasps> course. Oh, you have lace. Oh, The original. That's, oh, my that's, gosh. That's had a few rereads. So is it going to fall open at the goldfish bit? <laughs> I've no, I didn't know this. This is. Do you know Anna Carey at Chenet? Anna Carey. She she actually founded Judith Crouch on holiday. Um, I'll take Manhattan. And I, these books are just great. They you have to read so them. I really I need but to describe lace. this copy of Lace. This it's, is the original. This is the original paperback. Wow. So this battered. is beautifully battered. It's got kind of gold lettering. The, do we know? I'm assuming that's not Shirley Conrad, no, but it might be. As a sort of a sexy lady's face in the cover, and she's got like a lace sort of mantilla on her scarlet lipstick. Yes. But lace, I always forget how it's a story about friendship and, you know, love and connection and that sort of that tenderness between women as yes. much as it's about goldfish. sexy shakes and goldfish. Yes. But, you know, I read... Oh, my God, I just... I just this this is filthy as well, and she sort of wrote. Can I borrow Judith, it? <laughs> you can if you want. <laughs> Judith Crant sort of wrote these books, and there are all these sort of like literary illusions in them, but just like really sort of no holds barred kind of like fucking. Because that's another. And, thing I mean, that, it was thirteen, fourteen. I mean, these these are much ruder. All of these kind of, but you know, sexy books, but they're all like, oh, and it was like um. <laughs> 
is, is that Purcell I hear? Throwing <laughs> no. around bits of words first. Because so, people always go on about how Riders was a bonkbuster. But come on, anybody that's read Princess Daisy or Lace, just like, that's, that's not a bonkbuster. This, this. <laughs> so so I, you were 13 or 14? Oh, God, found... yeah, of course. And just, you know, that age where you're just, I think, even younger, just so curious about sex. I would just be like a plague of locusts on my parents' bookshelf just anything with anything rude read all my dad's james bonds at about 11 12 just for the rude bits i, I was just thinking about there's that bit in going back to you are you there god it's me margaret and laura the girl who is sort of a mystery to everyone because she's got breasts and that bit about her letting boys feel her up behind the a and p and i didn't know the a and p was like a convenience store i thought that was part of the sex act <laughs> what's an a and p I think this is probably why Judy Bloom didn't really sort of connect for me because I thought I was already on the hard <laughs> stuff. And I just remember, I think I was about 11 when I read Lady Chatterley's Lover, trudged through it just to get to the rude bits. And it was just... Oh. I, do, I really do think there is something about being a teenager and reading because, you don't, I mean, I think it'd be quite hard as an adult to be like, yeah, I'm reading Burroughs, or to be that sex-obsessed and that pretentious <laughs> and that curious about who you're going to be and how you're going to build yeah. yourself through these books oh my god blake nelson this where is it this book girl by blake nelson with the most horrible cover this is the book that made me write guitar girl i wouldn't have written wouldn't have written teen fiction um, it's just brilliant the cover is awful i bought this the first time i went to new york in about 95 96 and this is a book um it's about a girl, but he actually writes it from a girl's point of view, which normally I'm a bit like, oh, dude, don't do that. It's probably one of the best depictions of a teenage girl. And it's kind of Portland, and there's like this guy called Todd Sparrow in a grunge band, and they're big in Seattle. And it's just the first thing that happens in the book is her friend Sybil like shaves her head, you know, because it's all just, you know, all about downtown and... Oh, so, so had you, um, had you heard about that book before you bought it, or did you pick sassy, it up and think sassy? Oh. It was sassy serialized it, and you know oh. it was pre-Amazon days. So I literally went to the big Barnes and Noble in Union Square with a list of books that had been reviewed in in sassy to sort of, um, and I read it on the plane coming back. And and I, I it wasn't like oh my god I'm going to go away and write a teen fiction. It was like oh god, well if you're allowed to write books like this, I can I can write a book like this. So, but I'm there are bits in Gitarga, my first YA that I'm I think I've just like lifted out. You know when you're just so sort of so subsumed by a book that you don't actually even realise mm. that you're doing it. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, 
so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. We'll be back to Zara shortly, but I want to tell you about my steal of the week. This is a book that I love so much that I feel as though I've nicked the crown jewels by simply paying the cover price for it. This week I've chosen Life is Meals by James Salter and Kay Salter. They are a husband and wife duo and describe themselves as amateur chefs and perfect hosts. Now, I came across James Salter for the first time because my husband, producer Dale, was reading A Sport and a Pastime, which is um, a famous literary work about bumming. Uh, Life is Meals is very, very different. It's beautiful. Um, every single day of the year, uh, they talk about um, an historical meal or a recipe you can make or something delicious or a food memory that's connected to that day. So... I think I can say that today we are recording on the 17th of November. Ooh, so today, 17th of November, fondue. And they've got a lovely uh, few lines from uh, W.H. Jordan. A poet's hope to be like some valley cheese, local but prized everywhere. And there's a bit of a description about fondue and why melted cheese is so wonderful. Um, I've had this book for a while and I was inspired to revisit it because it's the anniversary of another book I really adore, Nigella Lawson's How to Eat. And I think that sometimes, like the Salters, I'm a keen amateur cook, the strong emphasis on the amateur, but reading about food is such a pleasure. And if you're listening, the nights are drawing in and it's getting a bit chilly, you know, all all I ever want is, you know, soup and stew and, and baked potatoes and delicious, cosy filling things. And reading about them when that writing is done as beautifully as the salters do is almost as good as sitting down to the actual meal. So that's my still of the week. Life is Meals by James Salter and Kay Salter. That's published by Picador and that is available everywhere. And now back to Zara. Are there any writers in particular... Uh, sort of adult writers where you feel yourself sort of drifting and getting their voice. I find it quite easy to kind of slip in. Dive of a Provincial Lady, oh, uh, yes. which I love. This is quite a new copy. There's a really battered copy upstairs. Once you've read a sort of Dive of a Provincial Lady for a couple of evenings, everything you try to write is just sort of, you know, got a letter from bank, you know, about overdraft. Um, I've just bought a new hat, you know, and, and now it's time to water my bulbs. It's quite... It, there are just, I don't know, I think also I've been doing it long enough now that I am sort of quite in control of my own voice. Mm. 
So, you know, Guitar Girl was my first YA, so it's the first time I'd ever written a book. And Unsticky was my first adult novel, and it took uh, it took about ten goes before I actually kind of found my adult voice because that that leap from YA to adult fiction is not a huge leap. It's kind of quite a subtle, nuanced leap because I wrote the older end of YA. Mm. And so I was going from writing girls that were 17 to girls that were 23. But, you know, it, it was quite... Nothing changes, but everything does. Yeah, exactly. Do you have any sort of favourite um, historical book villains um so your i think your latest book i think it'll be your latest book at the time of of airing is the rise and fall of becky yes the retelling of vanity fair which i adored um and it is contemporary and becky is such a brilliant villain but she is i don't know do you think she is a villain i mean she is an awful person she absolutely is i mean especially in like the original vanity fair i mean she's responsible for like you know a couple of deaths yeah um so, you know, when I was having lots of conversations with my editor about, can you warm her up a bit? No, I can't. You know, she hasn't killed anybody yet. It is really exhilarating to It was read. really cathartic to write, <laughs> actually. Just every mean thought that I'd ever had was sort of channeled into Becky. Have you ever read books or met characters where you felt bad for not liking them or had a sense of, I really should be enjoying this, but it's, no. So much, especially sort of reviewing, because, you know, it's imp- there's a lot of chatter sort of goes on as sort of, you know, proof copies go out and you will be reading something that everybody seems to love. And I just sort of think I just have to cut out all that noise because, you know, it's I have to see whether I like it. But I, I, do, I do sort of think that I just... There's, life is too short to waste on bad books mm. or books that you're not enjoying. So, you know, if I've read a book and it's been like shit, I'm really sort of resentful that my precious mm. reading time has been taken up with sort of something that wasn't good. Is there anything that came, anything sort of, oh, no, I'm not going to like this, and then you've been really, really surprised by it? Well, actually, probably not for Red, but Station Eleven. Somebody sent me a, a proof and it just sat on my desk. I was just like, ugh. Don't do dystopia. You, ugh, why would it, and, 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 and a travelling troop of Shakespearean players? No. But then people were sort of raving about it, and I was just like, oh, you know, I, I'll give it a go. Why not? I'm open-minded, and I loved it. And also, it's just one of those books I genuinely think about the ending of it like at least once a week. And I first I read it about six or seven years ago. I still think about. The ending. This, these are my beloveds. These Aww. are my. I'm quite because I've been doing all this decluttering, so um, these are my beloved, beloved, beloved Susan Scarlett, aka Noel Stretfield. Oh. So in the forties, she wrote these really amazing kind of torrid romances which are all about sort of girls this is my favorite clothes pegs which is set in a top london fashion store and then this one is set in a, a london dress shop how did i not know about this oh and my what god is really inter- so she wrote them as susan scarlet and then such a good name what is really interesting about noel stretfield's adult books is not so much the susan scarlet but her adult books are just like dark as fuck like this is so dark this is called Myra Carroll this is one of Noel Stretfield's adult books um and then Saplings which 
is a Persephone reissue, again, really dark. But what's really interesting about all her adult stuff, including Susan Stretchfield, is why they're so rare and nobody really talks about them, is that during the war, um, there was a huge... During the Blitz, there was a, a bomb basically fell on, like, the UK publishing Pasternoster Row, and basically so all those books in the warehouse just... Poosh, so her, this is why her books don't turn up in second-hand stores because they burnt down. This this one, Myra Carroll, is quite interesting because it's a Collins white circle for good reading, but it's actually um, a book for the armed forces. So paper was oh. rationed, but if you can actually see, there's no margins Amazing, at all. Amazing, tiny, tiny print. Yeah, and just look at the margins. There's no margins because you've just got to... But these... So these shelves, I've got my Persephone's, I've got my Susan Scarlet's, I've got my my little Dean Street Press books that they send me. Um, I've got Virago's, I've got my Penguin Classics. I've got a whole little section of reference books for, like, all about London. So when I'm writing these amazing Wardlock guides... There's a... You just get them for the year that you're writing and just it tells you where to go if you need a vet. It tells you how much the tube is. These things are just, like, amazing. The Knights of London, the Heart of London. I've got my Live Alone and Like It by Marjorie Hillis. Several editions of that, which is probably going to um, inspire an, a novel in about two years' time. Oh, I hope so. And then just all sorts of things. My Sarah Gay model girl books. <laughs> it was oh, amazing. I, I found those. this one on my mother's shelf, took it, and then I went to Edinburgh. Interestingly, I went to this bookshop, which is run by the people that were reprinting the Susan Scarlet books, and found all the other Sarah Gay model girl books. So, um, and this is a vintage Mills and Boone. Oh, Heart on Tiptoe. The fabulous dancing lady smelling her armpit while a handsome man yes. looks on. If you were going to write Mills and Boone and could choose a pseudonym, have you thought about they what it would be? They would love me to write. They bloody would. Sarah Scarlet. <laughs> But, but they don't really have those names anymore. That's a sad thing. Oh, I thing. wish they did. I but wish they did. If you were doing it in the 1960s. Or the 1930s. Oh, it would just be something amazing. It'd probably be something like Rarity Darling or just... <gasps> I think you'd make a brilliant <laughs> Have you ever stolen a book? Yes. Yeah, I can tell you which one, actually. Well, the one that I can remember, this book is amazing. And for years you couldn't get it. Starlust by Fred and Judy Vermorrell. Oh, we have that. Uh, I think it was at Faber Fines reissued yeah, it. Yeah, but not for years. So I, when I was on Melody Maker, I kind of like was hanging out with a band and they lent me that and I was just like, it's never coming back. We um, have that book and we're obsessed. Fred and Judy Vermorrell, they just went and interviewed all these fans about their ob obsession with pop stars. And some of them are quite tame. Some of them are so far from tame. There is the most astonishing sort of Barry Manilow. It's like Slashvik, isn't it? Not so much the Barry Manilow. My, me, me and my friend Kate, we still to this day, just on any birthday card, well, at least we have our interest in the chapel, just from a line in the Starlust, where she's the best one, where she's kind of... 
she's just sort of saying, you know, oh, my, my husband sort of said it's embarrassing when we have people around because you're all Barry this, Barry yeah. that. And I say, well, I don't understand why you're being like that. Your sister has her interest in the chapel, doesn't she? <laughs> so, um, so, oh, my God, there's just, like, really, like, intense, like, weird fantasies about David Bowie. Mm. There's one about Rick Foxton from The Jam. Yes, just, like, I remember, and it's the and it's the boy, isn't it? And yeah. It's, is it something about, like, him coming into the school toilets? Yeah, and then there's an Adam Ant one. Again, to this day, me and my friend Kate just like to exclaim, on your knees, punky. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, so who did you steal it from? from somebody in a band called Tiny Monroe. I'm never getting... And it's just, you know... It was like, you know, it was before mobile phones. It was like never getting that back. I'm just trying to think. And if which book would you commit serious crimes if someone were to steal it? Probably something like my Shelley School hardbacks, just because you can't really get them without paying a fortune. But just well, kind of the I'm circumstances. I'm back in the car with you. The circumstances, the yeah. Well, this one, actually... This is amazing. I wanted this for so long and it was so expensive. It's London, London at night. Um, there's an exhibition at the Museum of London called London at Night, but they're actually using some... They're not even photos, they're photogravures. Just look at this. It's just beautiful. Isn't that just amazing? And, and it's like a London that doesn't exist anymore. I don't want to be weird, but that book smells incredible. I know. It really does, doesn't it? That's a real. Just, when people talk about the old books, I don't know. And this there. is amazing, London West, which is all about like the the dress shops and things. And it's 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 written in that style of you know when you sort of see like old sort of Pathé newsreels and it's a really patronising man saying, "Hey, little lady," <laughs> and and this is just. This is brilliant, and it's, it's you know... London West by Francis Marshall. The illustrations are beautiful. Do you know who did them, does it say? I don't know. Let's have a look. It's Again, it's that sense of London. because that picture there, so this is... Um, it, well, it's, it's royal Royals stuff. from... This is another one. This was my mum's book, and it's about... Love of Defiance by Mary R. Richardson. She was the suffragette that slashed the Rokeby Venus. Oh! And it's just, you know, my mum bought it and I read it when I went to university my tutor was like well obviously it was your first feminist text and I think the only reason that my mum bought it is it was reduced from 12 and 6 to 1 and 6 (laughs) but I I read it and it's all you know amazing and it's all about force feeding and stuff unfortunately after the suffragettes she went and joined the British Union of Fascists oh no but it's such an amazing that sounded really sarcastic, I was meant to. I was thinking she just had to have a cause. But I went to um, a party a few years ago and I got talking to this girl who was an artist and she was doing this whole kind of thing on suffragettes and sort of like putting herself in those photographs. And she was just, I was going like, oh, you know, I've got this amazing biography of a suffragette. She just said to me, it's laugh of defiance, isn't it? And I just said, yeah. She said, I knew you were going to say that. She said, I couldn't find a copy of it anywhere. They don't even have one in the women's library. I found a library in Australia and they photocopied the whole book for me. And suddenly I just met, and now I've just met you randomly at a party and you've got a copy. So just little, you know, it's just little weird things about books. I think what I love about Twitter so much, especially bookish Twitter, is that I'm just... It's lovely, and I'm just in this kind of coterie of women who all read The Chalet School, 
all read the Lorna Hill Sadler's Wells books. We all love Georgetta Heyer. You know, it's just, you know, when I was growing up, I didn't know anybody. The other thing that I must show you, actually, talking of, well, the things that are beloved to me more than anything else. On here, they've got their own shelf now. These are my mother's oh. Georgetta Heyer novels. Every single, they are just, oh, God, every single much. one of the romances, you know, the and they're just, these are more precious to me than, like, anything at all. Um, just because, you know, they were my mum's. These, Pan Macmillan, my just, my memories of being a child, we had them all on the shelf, and I would pull all these ones out with, like, the pretty ladies and just sort of stare at them for ages. So, was, was your mum a fan? Did she introduce she, you? Well, the, you know, the, the sad thing is that, you know... She would always say, oh, you know, you'd love it, you'd love a hair. I was like, oh, shut up, Mum. I'm reading, like, Sylvia Plath and I like William Burroughs and I don't want your stinking Georgetta hair. And then, you know, as I got older, I, it was just sort of one of those things of, like, I will read them. And then my mum died. And um, I would go and sort of see my dad and I didn't have anything to read, so I just pulled... Regency Bark was my first Georgetta hair. And it's just, it's just, like, typical... Because she invented, like, the Regency romance. So it is flighty heiress, sardonic older sort of guardian, cheekbones. You know, there's a carriage, you know, race. And, oh, it's just brilliant. And it was just like, oh, my God. So I sort of just took, I took the Georgetta Hayers, you know, like that Johnny Cash song where he sneaks a Cadillac out one piece at a time. <laughs> it's like, I'll take two Georgetta Hayers a week. And I, you know, my biggest book regret is that I didn't read them when my mum was alive. So that was something that we could have shared because she bought every single one, you know. And some of them are, are like the Bodley Head first editions with the Barbarossa illustrations, which are amazing. But then I still really love those little pan... Mac ones, so those ones that you had the first really tactile yeah. memory of, and I suppose above all else, those are the books you know that if the house was on fire, like literally MacBook, Georgetta Hayes, because they were my mother's. Can you imagine the conversations you would have had with her about those books now? Do you read them and sort of hear her? Not not in a spooky way, yeah, or, or in a spooky way. I don't know. I just you know it. It would have been really nice to sort of share them, you know, and even sort of reignite, because, you know, she was not very well at the end and she just didn't read. It would have been really good to sort of get her audio books or something like that. So sort of as I was discovering them for the first time, she could rediscover them. So, yeah, I mean, isn't that's just sort of... Because that's the great thing about a, a really good book. You want to sort of share it with somebody... Even though sort of reading is this really kind of... It's a really solitary, insular thing. But also what's amazing about it is that when you sort of love a book and you meet somebody else that loves the, It's kind of a shorthand, isn't it? It's so intimate, isn't it? Because it's... If you love the same books, it's almost like saying, I can be alone with you, and that is rare. And especially those books that you did read, like, when you were a sort of a teen, like, that really shape you, like the Jilly mm. Coopers. You know, I still think I'm trying to sort of find a man like Corey Erskine. It's like people say to me, Dylan, a die of a crash, or, you know, I'm still looking for Dylan. I just think, well, don't, darling, because, you know, he's just, like, really not good boyfriend material. But it's sort of certainly I don't sort of think that I would write the kind of heroes and heroines that I write now if it wasn't for sort of things like, you know... 
Jilly Cooper's early novels and and actually sort of my mum's Mills and Boone that I used to read at a really shockingly precocious age. My parents were like really my parents sort of grew up very poor. So um second, third generation Jewish immigrants. My mother grew up in a Samuel Lewis trust building, wasn't allowed to go to grammar school when she passed to 11 plus, was made to leave school at 15 because my grandfather just didn't think girls needed an education. My father had to leave school during his A-levels because his father had died and he needed to earn a living. So they were just like, you, you know, they were just so big on education and sort of but also reading. So I was read to every night. I mean, my dad would read Twinkle to me, like Dolly Hospital. I was always read to, but quite quickly I was reading myself. We didn't have money for books. So every Saturday I was taken to like the library to get like my maximum six books, which I just read again and again. The other had a library fine. Oh my God, yes. Oh God, I just remember when I was a teenager, I got all these books out, I just couldn't be bothered to take them back. And then sort of in the end, honestly, they were like about two or three years like overdue. <laughs> and they did, They sent out letters. I did take them back. It was Burnt Oak Library. And it, it wasn't, you know, they did have a go at me. Do you know what? It wasn't that bad. But I do actually sort of remember that while I was at the desk getting a bollocking, this nosy old man actually just took one of the books in the pile and lifted it so he could see, like, when the book had been <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Sorry, the team rebel with a massive yeah. microphone. <laughs> a huge thank you to Sarah It was such a joy to look at her book collection and it felt like a real privilege. I would recommend every single one of her books. Um, The latest, The Rise and Fall of Becky Sharp, is published by HarperCollins and that is available everywhere. And Unsticky, which I mentioned at the start of the episode, was published by Headline and we'll put a link to her work in our show notes. Thank you all so much for listening. We've had so much love and support and we're so excited to hear from all of you. Um, if you want to find out more information about the show, go to acars.com slash booked. You can email us at whybooked at gmail.com. You can say hello to me at notrollergirl on Twitter or the Daisy B, that's B as in the insect, on Instagram. And I will be posting lots of shelfies and book pictures there for you to have a look at. Also, keep an ear out because we will be planning some live events All the dates are to be confirmed. They'll probably be happening in 2019, but they'll be announced over the next few weeks. If you like your book, please share the love, tell your friends. And if you rate and review us, it's hugely helpful to us and it helps other people find the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back next week. Goodbye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. 
quince.com slash style. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.